spoiler alert. Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. What's up? Good to see you. Good to see you too there, Mr. Author. It's been a couple weeks <laughs> since we've talked. I think it's only right that we kick things off by talking about the launch of your novel, which I think, uh, if if record serves correctly, sold out on Amazon. Yeah, well, it sold out before I think they even had any stock, uh, and I haven't I haven't exactly been able to get to the bottom of. Um, how many units were distributed to different vendors. But yes, uh, the long and the short of it is that that Amazon was overwhelmed on day one. And now I think it's getting to the point where Chapters Indigo is is getting to be a little overwhelmed as well. So I'm going to have to place a phone call and be All like, right. I, think we need to, I think we need to restock. That's a positive problem. Your, your book is like a Jordan release. <laughs> uh, wait a second, a Michael Jordan release? Or like Jordan Peterson? Yeah, like a jo- I- like a like a Jordan shoe drop. Oh, it's like a Jordan sneaker. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, people have been incredibly nice and incredibly supportive. But like, because I can't fully enjoy anything, that's just my mo. Um, I find myself really stuck in uh, this concern that people will not be able to get their hands on it the minute that the moment strikes them, and then when it's available yeah. again, uh, which might be not for a little while. It won't be quite as buzzy or interesting, and uh, I'm nervous that that's going to, that it's all going to be over by the time it's begun. We're gonna we're gonna keep this hype train rolling, baby. I'm gonna have <laughs> some like planned sort of uh, uh, releases going out, uh, like you know Instagram posts, things that just kind of keep people uh, in the in the mix, you know that kind of thing. I have um, been I've been so heartened by how uh, supportive virtual strangers will be so like there are people who i our friends or, or acquaintances who are rushing out to buy this book which i find so lovely but then like friends of friends or like becky's second aunt who i've never been in the same province at the same time with is like oh i picked up my copy today it's good and it's just so funny because i would never huh. be that supportive of a stranger <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome first yeah. of all i uh i hope that some whatever i spread ends up getting more people i do need to actually i haven't purchased for myself any books yet i will make a big deal about that when that happens i was considering way to i, I basically i want to try to get to the bookmark i feel like that's a cool spot to buy your book it's a great story um and i also <laughs> have been out of commission sick for like two weeks so that's another part of the story but yeah um all this to say, it's given me a little time to uh, start reading your book. I'm not super far into it, but I love it. Thanks, it's bud. Like, uh, it's like going on a nice little, uh, nice little mystery journey through your, your learning these characters. There are, there's a sort of uh, a sensibility to the town. I really like it. Thank you I'm so like much. Super impressed. Yeah, I, I, I thank you very much. I was very pleased very early on with uh, the world building exercise that it was. I felt as it was happening, yeah. like this is coming together like a pretty conceivable, um, palatable existence. Um, and you're right. I didn't set out to have a, a mystery vibe so much, although I think that's what I'm left with. Interestingly, it started out as a Western. And um, mm-hmm. the idea of this like mythic outlaw who everybody's kind of, uh, obsessed with culturally within yep. the within the story that figure is the first thing I created and I thought I would maybe tell 
a Western, and then I ended up setting it in the East. So it's like it's an Eastern, and it's also in modern day. And so all of that kind of became stripped away. And what remains is this small town that's obsessed with a legendary outlaw from their area, and then all these other more normal characters. And you're right, it kind of turns into a sort of a mystery, sort of like a, a sweet little tender tale about friendship. Now, this is going to sound so... Um... I don't even like incompetent as a, as a Nova Scotian. If I don't, is this a real place? So I think my dad said it best when my mom asked the same question uh, of, of Heather okay. in Nova Scotia. Um, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, he said, it's not a real place, but it's absolutely a real place. And yes. Okay, great. So the idea is that I like Heathering does not exist, but uh, you definitely have been to this town in essence before. Okay, that's that, first of all, that makes me feel a lot better because I was like, <laughs> man, like Heather, I, I even just quickly Googled it to be like, is, is this a place? Like, did I, am I missing something? Um, so that's that's a relief. I, uh, and I absolutely, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, you know, those kind of small towns where, right. you know, you go on a weekend or, you know, maybe you've done a co op there. <laughs> More likely a co op there. Like, strictly in my right. imagination, it's not one of these small towns in Nova Scotia that is really quaint and idyllic and it's great for a day trip and, and the photos are colorful right. okay. and the golfing is good. No, no. This is kind of a dead town. And that's sort right. of another remnant of the original concept as this being like a, a Western. Like, and, and that's built a little bit into some of the backstory as well, why this town is kind of halted in its development and it's just kind of like sitting there in the woods, not necessarily on the water. Mm -hmm. I do like, I, I will I will say too, just even being like, you know, 70 pages in or whatever I am right now, it starts out with such a kind of broad concept, like such a broad, like, um, not a broad concept, but I, I suppose like, um, or maybe it's like hyper specific, the the idea of this of this person that like there's this myth about, right? Um, that everyone kind of you know, and it's a, it's a it's a kind of benevolent myth, sure. Which I which I found also uh, kind of refreshing. All this to say, I'm loving where this book's going. Thanks, man. Thank you. What what I found in in my writing since then especially, uh, is that I'm really good at writing like chapter one. So I'm really good at like creating a new character and being like, this is where they were and this is why they're here now and this is how they fit into this story. It's much harder to write chapter two and then chapter three. Um, and so Whoa. there is a lot of setup in Short Mercy, right? There's like a lot of, and, and that's that permeates through the whole story as well. It kind of bounces around timelines a lot and we rarely stay in the same uh, headspace two chapters in a row. Uh, and that just kind of, shook out very efficiently by accident um but yeah yeah going off of what you said i i, I would say that it, it paints a broad picture and then slowly starts to pull the strings together yeah nice so just uh, to like to kind of uh key in a little bit on one of the things you just said about like writing the first chapter do you not have like a full kind of storyboard when you start writing is it literally like... No, my storyboard usually happens like halfway through uh, on a project like this. Um, I'll have a lot of ideas in my head and like I'll at some point admit that there's no way I'm going to remember everything I thought of. I'm not going to like be able to keep all my inspiration in check if I don't start to plot this with a little more strategy. But it's much more free to just kind of 
like kick off and see where you land. And huh. more often than not, I find that you'll just invent something in the moment and then you'll find a way to bring it back and make it make sense later. Like it is true that good writing doesn't include anything that didn't need to be there, but you will often find out much after the fact why it needed to be there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So how many, on that note, how many times would you say you kind of like edit, edited and re-edited and like killed things that, that you had to, how, how long did the whole process take you here? It was two years, right? Well, it's set in 2018 for two reasons. Uh, one strategically and one accidentally. Uh, one is just that I started writing it in February of 2018. And now in hindsight, I realize it's much better that it still takes place in 2018. Uh, because of COVID, and, and you don't have to like uh, focus on COVID all the time, but because we've got like a lot of driving around and a lot of like being in retail stores and people right. coming from not around here, it, right? it's just much better if it exists before that. Um, and there's some like era specific things that I didn't want it to be uh, era non-specific. So it is strictly written in 2018 and it takes place in 2018. I think the first draft took me like, like eight or nine months. And then I, I would have just like singularly individually gone over it probably like three or four times obsessively, like changing sentences, tightening, being as ruthless as I can be. And then I had Becky do it and she's, she was amazing. She was like so helpful and she went over it and she had suggestions and she was able to explain to me things that, uh, only worked in my head and I didn't realize they 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 wouldn't work to a third party and we didn't change plot but she it got tighter by you know 5,000 words um, right. and and then uh, I submitted it to some places um, I got one rejection I got another one that wasn't like a rejection so much as their editor died they're like hey our editor died so oh, we can't God. we can't publish your book <laughs> and then but i remember you feeling really encouraged by one was that a straight up rejection or was that yeah my first uh, rejection was like it was one of the nicest emails i've ever received and yeah in fact they said to me you know what you should submit this at pottersfield press this is like exactly the kind of thing they look for and i did oh, cool. and pottersfield um got back to me in in march of this year and so it all it's come together like in six months which is pretty quick it's not a long book but they set me up with two uh copy editors the second of which was also our layout editor um her name's peggy amaro and and together like both of them were incredibly uh insightful and encouraging and i i was really terrified of the editing process because Mm -hmm. a thing about like hashtag uh writing (laughs) like like people on the internet who love to like remind you that they're a writer are constantly going on about like how impossible it is and you shouldn't try and and a chapter of that is the editing they're like oh well you you know uh (laughs) john steinbeck would hand in a manuscript and he'd leave crying or some shit and like that's just not very encouraging and so i was so afraid they were going to get back to me and like okay in six months we're going to put this book out but right now it's trash so start over and it wasn't right. it wasn't like that at all. It's just it was a it was a a very workable, enjoyable process of making it a little bit better week by week. And then all of a sudden, I stopped hearing about them and hearing about it. And I I took that to mean it was done, and I was right. And and then it was on the shelves. <laughs> and a funny little aside. Well, first of all, uh, did you circle back to that first uh, sort of um, encouraging rejection? person to say hey just heads up this did get released thank you for your kind of 
advice? Not specifically to that person, but I have I have uh, corresponded with that organization since then, and they're amazing. Nice. And actually, um, I mean, I don't have to be like coy about it. They're Nimbus Publishing, and they right. we do work in uh, in tandem with them. Like we used Nimbus as printers. The word Nimbus is inside short mercy like it's in there they gotcha. they're we're, yeah. it's not a nimbus uh, title but it kind of is indirectly mm -hmm. yeah. and and the other thing that actually is is in the book or on the book is the show show podcast with sweets and Delaney. i felt so bad that i didn't think to point that out to you when you were here on microphone two weeks ago because i would have loved to get your reaction to that i i i wanted that to be a surprise because i thought you would find it cool I do. I found it so. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> my, name, my name is on a novel. This is crazy. Well, and here's um, a, here's an opportunity to really legitimize the show show podcast. We sold out on Amazon, baby. I'm already referring <laughs> to it as a week. Our book is doing well. You're right. We did. Well, that's so awesome for you, man. I'm I'm really happy that uh, that you've hit a, a major checkbox in your life. That's a, a big milestone, and I'm sure the first of uh, many for you in your publishing career. Thanks, bud. Thank you for your support and for your time. Don't feel like you have to rush out and buy one because apparently they're low stock right now. <laughs> but I'll 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 continue to to plug it on social media and and keep everybody posted. And uh, uh, I've been really I've been really moved by people's support. Dream come true. You. You know what I reminded myself of too when I was reading it. I was like, "Oh my God, Sweets gave me that uh, that like kind of manuscript." Oh yeah, uh, and I haven't brought that up for like weeks and weeks and weeks. I haven't read it. It was in my. It's still in my backpack. I, I kind of thought take it out. I kind of thought maybe you weren't into the idea, which I would have been fine with. No, fully into the idea. There's no hesitation on on my part to do kind of back and forth, a la. Uh, my dinner with Andre. Okay, that is so yeah. Song. What that is is actually it's a it's a it's a two hander. It's a play that I wrote, and uh, sometimes I write things and then like I think they're good in the moment, and then I walk away from them and I'm like whatever. Actually, in hindsight, I I think this is pretty good, and it's a little a little twee, but at the same time, it's like sincere, and it is in the style of my dinner with Andre, and that it's just two people talking over a long period of time. Nice. And it should run about an hour if I timed it correctly. And I thought it would be kind of fun if you and I, uh, the same way we did my dinner with Andre on the podcast, if we if we did this little play together. Happy to do that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I'm sorry. Should I do it? Should I do it cold or should I read through it first? Ah, hey, you don't have to. We kind of had fun doing my dinner with Andre, completely not knowing. But I, I think I have it the, was... I think I have the two characters' uh, dialogue a little bit more uh, well balanced than Wally Sean did. So sure. whichever part you decide to take, it, sh it should be fair. Nice. And that way you're a far superior writer to Wally Shaw. <laughs> I've always said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you're, you're feeling sick and, and housebound. This has been going on for a while. Yeah, I'm on like day 12 now. I actually Ugh. just finally bit the bullet and uh, filled the prescription. It was just like... Like last week, I was kind of like waving in and out, like feeling okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, something feel off. And so I finally uh, got the prescription filled today. And it's like one of those prescriptions where if you consume alcohol, you will be violently oh, ill. No. Like my friend, who's who's also my pharmacist in this case, is like, it's it's got the same like ingredient as, I think it like kind of just by happenstance has the same ingredient or the same sort of uh, property as this drug called antabuse, 
which is literally like the drug. If you're an alcoholic and you're like, you need to kick it, <laughs> then you take this drug antabuse. And if you drink, it will just make you completely get sick immediately. Like your body oh. will not ingest any alcohol at all. So that I guess is what's uh, happening with them with this drug. So I have a bachelor party this weekend that I'm supposed to go to. I'm not, I'm not even sure that I'm going to get there at all. Uh, it's like at a cottage on the weekend. But if you go, you're going to have to be stone cold sober. That's right. Ugh. That's right. So, uh, so I, I still might go. It's, you know, it's going to be a couple days there. So we'll see how I'm feeling. If I honestly, if I'm feeling good, like it would still be fun to go and like hang out at a cottage with friends. Right. So, um, so there's a chance that that still happens, but I don't know. It's just been a, it's been a tricky couple weeks. Yeah. Well, I seem- rode my bike. I don't know if I told you, I rode my bike to Jen's cottage in Hubbard's. Jesus Christ. Like, you rode your bike from here in Dartmouth to Hubbard's? <laughs> yeah. Door to door. You're a so, maniac. But, th- but that day, I don't like that. It, I've been completely off since then. I don't know if you I don't like, say. triggered an infection in my butt but for 12 days to like for it to like throw off my digestive <laughs> system and like and then i went to to uh like tim baker that that next day and so we we're like after doing that we were clearing like property on on jen's uh jen's cottage like shoveling rocks and stuff so after doing this 50 kilometer bike ride i'm like shoveling rocks for the rest of the day and i my whole body just kind of felt off and then that night like stomach has just been like a mess ever since um but like a couple drinks tended to like kind of quell it and then we went to tim baker and we were able to like have some drink and that was fine but then i was just like completely on my ass again i don't understand how you ever eat enough calories because you matt slaney are not exactly a mountain you know what i'm saying and you you burn calories like a freaking lunatic And, and like to on top of that i remember last year you ran your your unofficial marathon just for the hell of it and you didn't stretch afterward and so this leaves me wondering like after you biked half across the province of nova scotia did you drink enough water that day did you like eat eat any 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 protein i i did i i certainly didn't drink enough water (laughs) good god i actually I actually uh, was hung over from the night before too because I like we did our <laughs> fantasy draft and I so there was like a, a million things that I should have done but still a million things that shouldn't make you sick for two weeks after especially when I've been like chugging water and like eating food and like consistently the other day I even tried to do like a light workout just because I was like oh my god maybe it's just like the fact that I've I've been so like docile and like haven't been haven't been moving around right and it completely ruined me like my neck was so stiff yesterday like oh. in pain my traps just like oh what happened like i can't move um so it's it's like some weird flu my body's fighting something you can tell by my blood sugars and stuff too anyways all this to say i think uh that uh, I'm, I'm turning it around starting today well, that's good. I, I appreciate the attitude. Speaking of digestive woes, I had something called a gastric emptying study done on Tuesday, which sounds oh. so personal. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and it, it, I thought it was going to be like really invasive and I was like really nervous for it. It wasn't invasive. It was just the most inconvenient thing you can imagine. I had to go to the hospital um, and basically they sit you down and you eat four radioactive egg whites. 
Okay. Okay. And they're radioactive so that they can then trace them in your body using yep. like x-ray cameras. And so you sit there and yeah. you're not allowed to eat or drink any coffee. And so like I haul my, my, my ass to the, the hospital and I'm starving and exhausted. And then I sit there and I eat my little Spider-Man egg whites. And then they just make you come back four times throughout the day. And they take a new picture of your torso and see like where the egg whites are in you. And this is all to figure out. Interesting. This is all to figure out like why I feel sick after eating so many different things with no consistency. Right. Is, um, was the, the phrase gastroparesis brought up at all? Because that's no. the thing that, uh, type one diabetics deal with sometimes, I guess it's like a, it's a, the vagus nerve in your stomach can get damaged because right. of like high blood sugar. And then it can cause like, they call it delayed stomach emptying. Yeah. But we've done a little bit of reading about the, about, uh, what stays in vagus. Um, and uh, it doesn't seem like it's that necessarily. I also have a scope booked for later on. I've had blood work that that uh, denies I have celiac, but I I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to try anything fifty sure. times. Apparently, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> that's a hopeful attitude. Shall we talk about entertainment? Let's get into it. What are you watching? You must be watching stuff if you're hostbound. I'm definitely watching stuff. I'm, I've been into this uh, Untold series. It's basically like the 30 for 30 on Netflix. I might have mentioned right. it last time. You did, yeah. I just watched a, a really good one actually right before this, uh, which was about um, basically like you remember Andy Roddick? I recognize the name. He, so he was like a, a, a U.S. tennis player. Okay. He, he'd like hosted Saturday Night Live. He was kind of like a name there in there, like, or like mid-2000s to like early 2010s. Um, and his buddy marty fish like was kind of his like training partner and then marty fish kind of like decided he was going to become like the best too and just like went crazy went like super competitive just completely changed everything he was like a super like likable like friendly guy before and he got like ultra competitive like kind of eye of the tiger kind of thing um and then he ended up having like a crazy anxiety disorder like oh. a very very severe anxiety disorder where he was supposed to play uh uh federer and he just literally said i cannot do this like his wife was like you need to just tell them like you're not playing anyway the story was very very cool it was uh it was like uplifting it was uh emotional it was a great uh lesson and and kind of like full circle storytelling so is that it has a happy ending by the sounds of things because that sounds like it could get pretty morose yeah yeah totally i mean it's a real kind of like like hero's journey uh nice into what yeah what what ultimately ends up being a happy ending good i've been watching uh only murders in the building which i was sad to oh, learn I mean, i'm sad that it's week by week i didn't realize that when we were doing the podcast right and so it's still yeah. only halfway done it was renewed for season two which immediately you see that that's going to happen. Like people like the show. Right. We were talking last time on the, on the podcast about how it seemed strange that it was out, but people weren't talking about it. And now they've done some press yeah. and people are starting to like, I think I referenced Buzzfeed last time. Like for sure there's a, what character from only murders in the building are you quiz? Like that stuff right. has kind of started to trend a little bit and it's like very good. It's, gotcha. it's, it's kind of goofy, but it's super watchable. Nice. The, the other show that I've watched is one of the shows that we're, to talk about tonight so i don't need to get oh, too okay. far into that um but uh i know that there was some uh, some big uh, jeopardy news 
today, which I, I want to let you handle. Right. It's been a couple of weeks since we had like the next chapter in this ongoing Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> that is who will take over the big Jeopardy throne. Um, and we still don't know, but I think this is a smart PR move on their part, and maybe the first one. Uh, they're just going to let the rest of the season ride out with uh, tag team hosting by both Maya and Bialik and Ken Jennings. They're like, look, yeah. we're going to let the the dust settle on this thing. We got two people on the payroll. They're pretty good at hosting the show already. We're just going to ride this yeah. out for a little while. I think that's smart. And in the meantime, they might discover that one of them is, in fact, the the full-time person. But with, with Mike Richards having left the picture and they got a new person coming in, we might as well keep some familiarity. Right. And, and like you probably will watch... You've probably watched an episode this week. Who is the host currently? Weirdly, Mike Richards is currently the host because oh, they're still they're still airing. Well, the that's the thing is they can't not air it because Jeopardy is always a sequence, right? There's a, right? right. There's a, a continuity to it. That's right. There's always a common factor, and so th he did as the as the full time host of the show who had the gig permanently for you know nine tenths of a Scaramucci or whatever. Um, yep. he shot two weeks of episodes and even though he's on the outs, he still has to air because it's not just yeah. anybody competing. There's, uh, a great, wonderful thing happening on Jeopardy that's being overshadowed by this tawdry hosting scandal, which is that Matt Amodio has now won 22 games in a row and is the third highest dollar winning Jeopardy contestant of all time. He's 30 years old. He's won, uh, Whoa. 800 grand at this point. He is awesome yep. to watch. He's, it goes, uh, I think Ken, you mentioned him last time. I did. Uh, Ken Jennings, James Holzhauer, Matt Amodio. He's awesome. Wow. You, do you, where does he rank against like James Holzhauer? Are you like kind of pulling for Amodio at this point? I mean, well, obviously you're pulling for Amodio, but like if you if you had to put them head to head, yeah. I mean, like honestly, watching James Holzhauer is like watching Ali. Like it, it was in, it was really right. incredible, and and Matt Amodio is not unlike him in that he has this inexplicable charisma. And like okay. certain Jeopardy champions can pull that off where, and it's probably a, a charisma that they have in their own life. And I'm saying charisma. What I mean is cockiness. They have an air of sure. their erudite and they have an air of I'm smarter than you, but also you think they're probably a decent person and they're just so damn good at the show mm -hmm. that you find it intoxicating. And he's like Holzhauer yeah, in that way. Um, Ken Jennings was a little bit more humble, although he's also gotten to be pretty slick. Um, all these right. you know, Jeopardy rock stars. I'm a fan of all of them. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so you're on board with the 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 Bialik slash Jennings share until the end of the year, with I the mean, hope probably that Jennings takes. That's what I want. I'm I, I'm not like a giant fan of Maya Bialik, uh, but she's fine. It you know it's it's better than them just deciding that it should be Lavar Burton's show because that will make everybody relax. Um, right. And there aren't that many Which other it, it people. Wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. You're, you're absolutely right. And there aren't that many other contenders, realistically, because it's not... Yeah. Anderson Cooper doesn't want that show. You know, Katie Couric doesn't want yeah. that show. I thought uh, Robin right. Robin Roberts from either the Today Show or Good Morning America, whichever one, I thought she was very good. And if she wanted it, okay. I think she should be considered. But I don't think that she does. And so right. it might be a pretty short list. Yeah. So I'm, I'm willing to... I, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm open to not fretting about it for you know eight months gotcha that's fair yeah 
like do you want to talk about um, um about the matrix trailer do you have any like thoughts now that it's been out for about a week you texted me about it and i've still only seen it yeah. the once yeah uh, i don't think i watched it more than once i might have watched it twice but i uh it was intriguing it was way more intriguing than i thought it was going to be and the reason for that is because it seems like they're kind of going back to the well in a good way kind of going back to base they're almost kind of retelling the original matrix story yeah. where like you know neo somehow finds himself back in the matrix like doesn't realize he's neo i think he's thomas in right. in this scenario and he's kind of like talking about like uh don't like he's <laughs> neil patrick harris is the is the uh therapist mm. and he's you know uh who might be evil but Keanu Reeves is basically saying like, do you ever feel like you, you've been somewhere before or you're not quite where you're supposed to be? And uh, so the whole idea is that, you know, maybe something happened and he ended up like back the matrix, like it's strength kind of uh, resumed and uh, he kind of lost his, his neoness. And kind of got sucked in. And well, it's like mind. Yeah, blown. he he did kind of lose his neoness to the extent that he just looks like John Wick, <laughs> and so it, well, that's true. It too. doesn't quite feel like a Matrix movie to me. And they're gonna have a they're not actually gonna have a problem there because they're like good filmmakers and they're more creative than I am. But like in my mind, it's not Neo if he's not wearing this trench coat that's not trendy in 2021. And so what are they gonna do? <laughs> he's not gonna. It's not, they're not going to like be able to capture the same aesthetic and they probably shouldn't. And I like that they're updating the look of it. But also if it's just John Wick with like him being able to slow down time or whatever, then what's the point? Right. I, I think they will change his wardrobe. I think there's going to be something like at the end where he's like dressed like a like maniac. Yeah. How about when uh, Jonathan Groff has a suicide squad moment and he's like, so this is the matrix. <laughs> he like basically mugs to camera. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He like kind of like raises his eyebrows up and down a couple of times. Right. A couple of movies that yeah. people uh, are, are, are talking about a lot right now for good and bad reasons. And it's got to do with the festival circuit. So there's Spencer, the Kristen Stewart, Princess Diana movie, which is getting like very good mm -hmm. reviews, or at least the movie's getting fine reviews. Kristen Stewart is getting excellent reviews. And it seems like a, sh a sure thing that she's going to be, running fast for an Oscar this year. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then on the other side of the spectrum is this Dear Evan Hansen debacle that's about to come out at the end of next week. And so this is the film adaptation of the very popular stage musical. Uh, it's unusual, I believe, that uh, something still so zeitgeisty on the stage would already be a theatrical film, but thing is they wanted ben platt who played him on stage and won the tony to play him in the movie too and he's getting older quickly in fact everybody agrees he's already way 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 too old to play a 17 year old and so they've put they've just caked his face in makeup and they've given him this preposterous curly hair and he looks like a narc right in this singy sappy movie and the consensus is that while the show was fine, the movie's bad, and also maybe they need to re-examine some of the ethics of this Evan Hansen character. Yeah, I just, I had to, I was just Googling. I don't know if you could hear me typing and clicking at all there, but that was me Googling who Ben Blatt was because I always forget 
who that guy is and I need quick quick little image search to figure out um yeah I mean I I don't really know anything he was in the Book of Mormon I guess um I don't really know anything about uh Dear Evan Hansen at all it's a very really it's a very about. sappy musical. I I don't know a lot about it either, but it's it it's my understanding that he's like a, a lonely kid in a high school. Um, one of his classmates dies, I think, by suicide, and then Evan Hansen kind of like pretends that they were friends to garner sympathy and be like, uh, it, and it and it, gotcha. and it comes off like this like kind of weird thing that a lonely kid might do, and it's passable when the right. character's sixteen and he. He makes mistakes and he's just trying to figure it all out too. But now it's like a 30 year old bastard playing this guy. And it's just kind of, he kind of reads like a sociopath who's manipulating the emotions right. of this, uh, this family that's grieving. Right. And he's got like a full beard. Pretty much. No, they, they've, they've yeah. put so much like weird makeup that he, he kind of looks like he's made out of Play-Doh in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't work what about shang chi what do you know about shang chi nothing yet i probably would have seen it by now if not for going to theaters being so difficult but like people are pretty excited about this movie nice yeah i i haven't even seen a trailer for it i don't think no and there's probably i mean i don't know what kind of money it's made i think it's done okay it certainly doesn't have the <laughs> the <laughs> prestige of Black Widow, who's a character who's familiar to us and has been a part of this franchise for a long time. But mm. I think in like a Black Panther kind of way, it's like it's socially very uh, progressive and exciting and the character rocks and the story's good and the the movie in general has been well received. Um, so the vibe is good, but I don't know anyone who's seen it yet. So I haven't I haven't gotten a firsthand opinion. Mm, yeah, I'm I'm down for it now. It's I feel like it's picked up a lot of buzz. I've, I've heard more more talk about it. It's been like number one for weeks or whatever. But yeah, uh, I mean, in in sadder news, uh, the great Norm Macdonald passed away. Yes, definitely sadder news. Uh, have you gone down like a rabbit hole at all of some of the, some of the uh, Norm tribute? Absolutely, and like I liked and appreciate appreciated norm mcdonald like the same way most people did but it's not like he starred in some great movie that i've watched 30 times so like he's always right. been around but like i remember compilations i've seen of him like uh, ragging on oj and weekend update or like his comedians in cars right. getting coffee episode or like obviously his iconic conan appearances and like in general like this is a person who objectively is like one of the most uniquely hilarious people um, of his generation. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate him as like a entertaining Canadian. Um, but I wouldn't say that I like had a really per strong personal attachment to, to Norm. And that's on me. Except for that, like I've watched a lot of these funny clips this week because they've been going around and people are obviously quite torn up about it. And it is sad. Um, and then, I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't personally mourning about it. I was just kind of enjoying the retrospect with like a little yeah. a, a little bit of like ambivalence obviously but like I wasn't like weepy about it and then today I didn't even hear him say this but I found somebody had posted a quote uh of Norm McDonald's which was um living is the best gig in the world you get to wear hats and eat at Denny's and stuff and I swear <laughs> and I swear to god a tear came to my eye when I read that cuz it was like you could hear it in yeah. Norm's voice Living is the best gig in the world. You get to wear hats and go to Denny's and stuff. And it's like it's like that is that is a a very very beautiful interpretation of 
we all need to appreciate things a whole lot more than we do. And it, it kind of struck me at the right moment today. He was such a like weird, like deadpan guy who I think had like, like contrarian opinions just for the sake of them being funny sometimes. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I was listening to, I don't know if you heard the, uh, the Bill Simmons podcast and Daniel Kellison was, was on, who was like a producer that worked with Norm for like years and years and years on multiple different things. And like his podcast and his show that Netflix bought and all of this stuff. And, uh, he said like he was weirdly religious like he would like yeah. argue with people about his views on religion and also he would um at the same time extol the virtues of uh, Charles Manson and be like oh, oh no god. Charles Manson was a great guy oh my god <laughs> just to be <laughs> just difficult to to yeah yeah exactly but people found it so funny obviously because it's such an insane thing to say uh, Bill Maher was on Jimmy Kimmel last night and they talked about Norm and Bill Maher said uh, very accurately that uh, Norm was not afraid to be too subtle. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> he'd, he'd say a joke that was just like way too subtle for people to get and he just loved it. So like, did you see him roast Bob Saget? Because that clip's been going around a little bit. Yeah, was that the one where he's like telling like really bad jokes? Horrible jokes, like jokes from a corny, a thousand hilarious jokes your dad might tell kind of book in the bookstore. <laughs> and yeah, and it's the perfect example of like how the content doesn't have to be good if the guy is funny, because like yes. it's you know that he he's bombing on purpose, but somehow these like dime bin jokes are hilarious coming from this guy, and it's it's this subtlety I that he just loved to revel in. I still remember like the overall idea. Like he'd be like, get it? Like you're older than a clock. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, and just kind of like stare at the crowd, like look at all the other comedians who are dying laughing. And Michael K. Williams is the other uh, gone too soon uh, guy in the news. Yeah. I can't believe. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. That, that was last week. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a huge loss. He was actually in, so many things and i think he was a real like your favorite actor's favorite actor kind of scenario sure too, where yeah. people were like oh i actually think he gave like in the wire he gave the best performance that maybe we'll ever see i've seen that said a lot and you've watched the wire do you concur like is that is it's omar right the character is supposed to be amazing yeah the, the whole idea behind omar is he's like i'm not spoiling anything here he's basically like the uh the vigilante um, like, I don't know if he's a drug dealer himself, but he kills drug dealers and oh. like, like basically robs them. Um, and the whole thing is like Omar coming, like people know when like Omar is coming. He's like he whistles this song, and the sort of like controversial thing about Omar at the time was he was also gay, so he's like you know Whoa. living as like a, a gangster in Baltimore. Yeah, so it was like a super kind of deep interesting character yeah in that way but it, it didn't necessarily like didn't even necessarily like he just kind of like lived his life like it wasn't like people were i don't think anyone even ever mentioned that omar was gay or i don't know if it was like a secret in the show but it was just kind of a uh, funny little uh you know aside that's so interesting. I, one of these days, I'm going to have to buckle down and watch The Wire, I guess. I, I like to think that my moment hasn't passed, but people aren't going to stop saying it's one of the great show, greatest show, shows ever, so I, I feel like should do it. Yeah. It's a, it's a slow burn, and you kind of got to just... I think it's one of those like one episode at night kind of things. It's not like you're going to binge The Wire. I'm sure people do, but 
I, I don't think I could. I don't know if there's anything we can say that wouldn't be presumptuous about John Mulaney, but since we spoke last, he did have his very fascinating tell-all on Seth Meyers where it all kind of came out. And I think namely because the press had gotten that obviously Olivia Munn was pregnant, and so that was going to be the talk of the town until one of them was like, yeah, we're having a baby. And so that's what happened. And they talked a little bit on Seth about um, his uh, intervention and how he was like in a really bad way about a year ago. And yeah, like Coke all the time, all, all the time. And I don't know. I don't want to be uh, a pessimist about it. Um, but the thesis of that conversation appeared to be phew, we made it out. Everyone's doing good now. But all I can think watching this is this still feels like some kind of weird manic episode. I hope everybody's all right. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, obviously stuff's still probably a little raw yeah. for him. And the fact that it was like, you learned that he also went to rehab in September, too. Like, he went to rehab a couple times that, you know, in that calendar year. Um, but, yeah, I you know, I think it's, uh, it's you never know what's really going on in, in someone else's life, obviously. Yeah. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it seemed a little... A little heavy. It was funny. Yep. Like I, I laughed throughout it. He's always funny. But yeah, yeah. But you kind of did go. Eh, hopefully everything's all right there. Hopefully that everything shakes out. Okay. Yeah. Just seems like there's a lot of haste. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm also. Uh, he said like. Go ahead. I was just gonna say he said like you know the whole, like the baby's getting my. Olivia and the baby are getting my like life back on track. And apparently I didn't realize his wife, I think also checked into rehab. Well, yeah, but apparently she checked into rehab for like emotional turmoil. Oh, gotcha. So, I mean, I don't know if this is like one of those Hollywood things, but, but that's kind of where I want to draw the line because there's an awful lot of like young Mulaney stands in comment sections talking about like who's done who wrong here. And I don't want to fall into that pattern because like, I'm a fan of somebody. I hope everybody's doing okay. But, like, we're not behind closed doors. Yeah, no, of course, yeah. I, I, trying to figure yeah, trying to figure out where the marriage might have fallen. Right, is, yeah. Uh, pretty, but e- even pretty, having the discussion pretty, about, yeah. like, about, like who, who wanted to have kids or who didn't is just, like, it's none of our right. freaking business. That was a comedy show. And, like, uh, there's this word that's getting used a lot right now, um, which is uh, parasocial relationship. And I think both John Mulaney's... Uh, marital situation and Bo Burnham perhaps even more accurately are instances of these people seeing art and deciding that that is the one and only person that exists and that they in fact understand this person on a on a uh, Mm. intimate human level not registering that this is a strategic performance complete stranger yeah right and a a complete stranger exactly and speaking of Bo Burnham uh our boys and Emmy winner three creative arts Emmys on Sunday night with the big event happening this coming weekend yep we're saying uh first first step of the EGOT Mm -hmm. he lost two categories to WandaVision which by the way are Marvel Studios first Emmys and when I saw that I got to thinking how long before Marvel EGOTs? Because they might have an Oscar already for like some technical category. Oh, I would assume they would. I, I and then once, once Spider-Man the musical gets that Tony. <laughs> yeah. Right. Tony is the tough one, isn't it? Cause even Grammy, Tony you can like is- have a soundtrack or something. Like somebody can like 
have a song or something in a in a Marvel movie that you can make that work if you're trying for it. But Tony is tough. <laughs> Tony's a toughie, right? Yeah, I'm not not exactly sure how you right. Not until a, a live stage play of Endgame. Not until Ben Platt plays the Green Goblin is that going to work out? Yeah, exactly. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine ends tonight. Yes, series finale for the Nine Nine. Yeah, you feel good about yeah. that? Last couple episodes. Yeah, they've they've really like there's it's only been like five weeks. They're just releasing two episodes a week. Oh, that's cool. Just getting it done super quick. Uh, getting it out there. Yeah, it'll be uh, the show that that I've watched every episode of, which is you know kind of kind of rare for an eight season show. Are you familiar with this? quirky internet conspiracy theory about the actor Brett, <coughs> Brett Goldstein right. who's on Ted Lasso oh yeah Roy Kent um, no I'm not familiar with I'm not familiar with the theory so he plays the lovely Roy Kent in Ted Lasso everybody everybody's favorite uh grump grumpy grouch Imagine. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so some people have started to wonder if maybe Brett Goldstein doesn't exist and that Roy Kent is just a digital rendering because the character just looks so much like a soccer player that it doesn't quite compute for some people. There's something uncanny valley about, about Brett Goldstein, which this is ridiculous, but I just find it so amusing. So so bear with me. Like that his like his hairlines are so perfect and his head is just a little bit too big for his body. Just like a little bit too big for his body in the way like a FIFA video game character is rendered, but a human isn't in real life he just looks like he was designed like a like just a generic fifa character and then they've right. they've included him as a character in ted lasso and i just i get such a kick out of this idea that an actor secretly might not be real <laughs> that's so funny because he he's like a writer on the show like that was the first thing he was doing yeah and they were like hey let's cast you as where can and i don't know if you've heard any interviews with him but his voice is like really like soft and like hilarious yeah i heard him on a um, podcast but he literally makes himself sound like oscar the grouch like a british oscar the grouch yeah in the show um that's really funny i'm uh, i'm a fan of the second season so far but i do kind of feel like they're kind of pulling uh pulling a lot of fast ones with us okay. you know what i mean by that not exactly because i have, haven't have watched you- it yet Oh, you haven't watched it. Yeah. It just seems like I'm wondering, like, if I look back at the season at the end, if I wonder if I'll think some of the things were kind of like cheap ploys. Right. To get us to to feel or but it's like it's a pretty, you know, there's a lot of nuance and depth to the show, too. So it's it's hard to it's hard to hate on that. There's always like supposed to be that kind of like darkness. I mean, the worst thing that can happen to a popular show is for the show to become too self-aware of what people get from it. I think a great example right. of this is This Is Us. So like we decided somewhere around season two that this is the show that makes you cry a lot. And so they just started going for making you cry all the time and for no reason. And eventually it just gets to the point where it's like, I feel nothing from this show anymore. Like I'm just, I'm numb to it now. And I do think Ted Lasso season two was probably in the can by the time everybody started to get on the Ted Lasso train. Um, But if if the show is too widely understood to be the show that's like a big warm hug, and it just gets too obvious that they're constantly trying to hug you, we're going to suffocate. Agree that. Um, 
so I hope that they kind of, I don't know, I, I'm not finding it bad at all. I'm certainly entertained every week. But uh, yeah, I hope I hope they keep things on the tracks there. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key has joined Timothee Chalamet in the Willy Wonka reboot. And he kind of seems like a good okay. fit for a Roald Dahl thing. Yeah. Keegan-Michael Key. And Helen Mirren is going to host the Harry Potter quiz show on HBO. I remember hearing a while ago that there was going to be a whole show, which is just Harry Potter trivia with Harry Potter nerds. Mm -hmm. um, Helen Mirren seems like a good get for this. HBO seems like <laughs> seems like a, a interesting and hilarious home for something that doesn't need to be so prestige. Um, but maybe this is all we need Same from one. this is all we need from Harry Potter. Like they can stop doing the Fantastic Beasts. They can stop writing plays that are bad. They just have have nerds who love Harry Potter come on TV and and be like Peeves the Poltergeist, you know, and hit a hit a right. flash their wand or something in order to buzz in. I, I'm into that. That's fun. But obviously, and I like I like quiz becomes, shows. That becomes the new Jeopardy, and it just like <laughs> runs for thirty years. There's just like so many repeat questions. Or they get Mike Richards to host it because he needs a job. Yeah, he's he's dressed up as like a Gryffindor. <laughs> as Hagrid, he just they put him in a big Hagrid yeah. suit, <laughs> or just like a lightning bolt oh, scar. Anyway, I think yeah. I think Helen Mirren's good. She strangely was never in the Harry Potter movies. That's that's an oversight, I guess. Um, and also a very prestige, like yeah, prestige network, prestige host. <laughs> I know they're taking it really seriously. <laughs> Honestly, okay. The only other thing I wanted to talk about before we get into shows and we have been chatting a lot this evening. This is only adjacent, our typical theme on the show show pod, except for that. I knew you'd have thoughts on this. And so I saw that Rolling Stone has for the first time in 17 years, updated their 500 greatest songs of all time list. Okay. And I have the top 20 here and I'm going to read them for you in uh descending order 20 through one, just to gauge okay. your, your feelings. Because I mean, Rolling Stone has always been, they have takes, right? They always like to have mm -hmm. a take. Um, yeah. And some of these in here are obligatory. Some of them seem like zags. And also you have to understand that like there's too many amazing songs for all of them to be in the top 20. But that does leave you wondering right. a little bit like, okay, well, why is that one in there though? For example, number 20, right. number 20, which is a truly great pop song, but is it the 20th greatest song of all time? Dancing on My Own by Robin. Huh. <laughs> Jen would definitely would very much agree with that. That's like one of her favorite songs. Song rules, but the 20th greatest song of all time. All right. Of all time. Number 19, yeah, uh, John Lennon, Imagine, which I actually think is a little overrated. 18. You, oh, you think 19 isn't isn't a, a good spot for Imagine to be? I th kind of thought like that's, that's only like top 10 ilk. I don't know. John Lennon's written a lot of good songs, man. That's true. Uh, and I, I also just assume that like the top 10 are going to be the most tropey of all the songs. I'll imagine. Think again. Number 18, uh, Prince, Purple Rain. I think that one belongs in the, in the okay. top 20. That's fair. Uh, number 17, yeah, Queen, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. This one's okay. kind of weird. Uh, 16, Beyonce, Crazy in Love. 16. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm loving that some of our wedding playlists is on here already. Yeah, you bet. Number 15, The Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which I find to be a really interesting choice because The Beatles, you've got a lot to pick from here. And we're going to yeah. use that one. All right. I'm assuming there's multiple Beatles entries. Number 14, 
this song rules, but the 14th greatest song of all time, The Kinks, Waterloo, Sunset. I don't think I know this song. Yeah, you probably do. It's good, but like the 14th? Number 13, The Rolling Stones come up again in our podcast. Give me Shelter. That seems fair. Sure. Great song. I'm happy that they it wasn't like painted black or something. Yeah, yeah. Number 12, Stevie Wonder, Superstition. Interesting choice. Interesting like Stevie song. Number 11 is a song that I actually think is perfect, and I think it could have been ranked a little higher than 11. The Beach Boys, God Only Knows. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so we're into the top 10. Throw some songs at me that you think are for sure in here. Songs I think that are for sure in here are... Okay, let's let's give you... Um, well, like, Hey Jude. I feel like Hey Jude's in there. I feel like... Um, uh, like a Rolling Stone, I think was famously the number one song like years ago. Like a Rolling um, Stone is in the top ten. Hey Jude is not. Okay. Which which uh, means which means that Crazy in Love is better than Hey Jude. I feel like like a song like Empire State of Mind is gonna end up being in there. Yeah. It's no no, but okay. It's not? Okay. <laughs> you're trying to that play was, you're trying to play to the crowd a little bit, I think. I'm, I'm going all over the place here. Uh, I think the more traditional songs, yeah, like your Bob Dylan's, your, yeah, there, there might be another Rolling Stones, another, uh, there's got to be like an Elton John song in there. Like, yeah, you'd think uh, so. A, a, a David Bowie song, like uh, like maybe like Life on Mars. Maybe that's too deep of a cut. I mean, it's like um, the David Bowie song would be like uh, Space Oddity or. Yeah, Space Oddity. Or like modern. Modern Love is the name of the song. Yeah, I think it's space a good on, song. You're, you're probably right, but that would that would be. I, I'm assuming it's not on there because you didn't have any reaction there. It's not. Um, uh, what would be? I don't even know. Okay, let's let's go through it. Number ten is Outcast. Hey ya. Top ten greatest songs <laughs> okay. of all time. Number nine, uh, Fleetwood Mac. What Fleetwood Mac song is it? Um, God, what would be considered their like? They're like key number one overall song. Like when you said Fleetwood Mac, my mind automatically went to the chain. The chain's so good, but it, it wouldn't be in the in the list, right? No, I, I think know. the greatest Fleetwood Mac um, song is Landslide. Uh, I, they actually have Dreams as the number nine, which is oh, yeah, and I wouldn't very have, good. I wouldn't have guessed that. Number eight, buddy, Missy Elliott, Get Your Freak On. <laughs> like what a weird choice. Number seven, The Beatles. This is the highest ranking Beatles song in the top 20 uh, of like all time great songs. Strawberry Fields Forever, which is a weird choice. So yeah. no, no, Hey Jude, No Let It Be in the top 20. No Yesterday, No Blackbird. But Strawberry Fields Forever? Yeah, that's, all right. that's a tough one. Number six, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Yeah, okay. That's a, that seems like a perennial top 10. Number five, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Okay. Number four, Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone. Number four. Number three, Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come. Like, this is okay, that's, that's, that's a, a, a really cool song, but it, like, what an interesting choice to put it in the top three. Number two, yeah. this is also a, a, a choice, Public Enemy, Fight the Power. Second best song of all time, according to Rolling Stone. Yeah, like, how much do these fluctuate? Like, the fact that... Well, what's their justification for these massive changes is they're like based on the environment now we're gonna like completely change the rankings a little bit I like think you're right. is it actually the best song or is it like the best song according to rolling stone as of this week aretha franklin respect 
I mean, uh, I don't disagree. No, it's good. Yeah. You'd be crazy to be it's like, no, that one. song sucks. That'd be, that would be so silly. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I certainly, if you gave me a choice of all the songs, if I would think that uh, respect would be the, the number one, I would go like, that's clearly the number one. No, it's kind of a weird choice. All right. Okay. Let's talk about shows. Uh, we're long in the sure. in the in the tooth this evening. Uh, do you want to choose? Do you want to go first? I think it's your turn. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll I'll recap the things. I think I've got a good handle on that. Okay, you recap the the first episode of. It's actually called Aquafina is Nora Aquafina from Queens. Is Nora from Queens, which is kind of yeah. a bizarre choice. But uh, can you see this? Uh, three, two, one. Okay, so uh, Nora is living with her parents and uh, or her father and her grandma, and she kind of realizes, like, oh, maybe I do need to get my life together. So she wants to move out. She's got a friend uh, who's apparently, like, a big-shot lawyer, and she's trying to make stuff happen. But she realizes that her friend is actually just, like, a cam girl, this, like, <laughs> crazy niche cam girl. And she ends up, like, trying to do it with her and it fails miserably and she moves back in and just kind of like tidies up her place to make it. Yeah. There's been like a long tradition of shows about funny, quirky people who can't seem to get out of their own way or get their shit together. Uh, but she, right. this is pretty low. Like she's, <laughs> she's, yeah. she's a pretty extreme example of that. Like, like driving around, not having pants and like, she's just, she's, right. she's so overtly and deliberately obnoxious in ways that right. are funny. I, yeah, I forgot to mention that part too, that she's like taken on a job as like uh, an Uber essentially to try to like make money to, to pay for the apartment. Right. And then she gets her car impounded. Uh, th- honestly, the, the whole like, the whole camming thing, I got like really distracted. When she like puts on a dragon costume and they're going to do some like weird niche camming together and it just kind of doesn't work out yeah. and it's it's just like awkward and silly. I got really distracted by uh, initially somebody donated one Bitcoin, which is worth about $60,000. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you'd be able to like pay rent for a year. Yeah, you can stop camming after one Bitcoin comes in. I don't think they did their research. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, obviously I, I, it, I find it kind of like a, like a, it's very close to broad city sure. in the sense of even, yeah. even the in-betweens, it's another comedy central show, but even the in-betweens have like the illustrations, which are probably by the exact same person. Yeah. They're kind of like colorful illustrations. Um, what did you think of, uh, BD Wong? Who's BD Wong? Is that her? Is that her dad? That's her dad. Yeah. I'm glad you asked because I really liked her dad. I thought he was hilarious. Well, he's he's famously like in Law and Order, right? Like, he, oh, I didn't he, know. Uh, oh, yeah. So he's like been in in a, in a lot of things, but like for a long time, he was a, a lawyer on on Law and Order. I thought the grand like one the, of the the grandmother was like kind of a stereotype, and she was like kind of over the top, but like the dad was just this like subtle, disapproving, like funny kind of oafish dad and i thought it worked really well to offset uh nora who's like so much and he's just kind of like even keeled right yeah and it's funny because i i kind of thought that aquafina would always be like that like if i tuned in but i listened to her on uh armchair expert and she was like very subdued yeah she's cool in interviews i've i i admit i've found her annoying in things um 
And I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure if those yeah, are the, pro- I, the projects or if it's just like, I just haven't been exposed enough, but like, is she legitimately a rapper or did she just have like a comedy song on YouTube and now she's a famous actor? I think that's what it is. Okay. Like, I don't think she's pursuing anything musically anymore. I think she's like all just acting now. Right. Well, she was annoying in this, yeah. but in ways that she seemed aware of. And so the show itself was funny. Like, I, I like the opening sequence where she's like, I guess, having a dream and she's talking to God. And the voice of God is Laverne Cox. And immediately, Aquafina is like, are you Laverne Cox? And God is like, no, I'm not Laverne <laughs> Cox. But it is. Like, I think that was really funny. Immediately self-aware. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's kind of like that. And she she really grows on you throughout. And Bowen Yang's uh, involvement continues to grow. Uh, like, by the end of it, he's basically like a, a main character. Right. Yes, uh, Bo and Yang as the as the like kind of snooty cousin who has his shit together yeah. like kind of yeah. differently from her. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny when she's crying like a, and a she tech she calls she's crying and she calls it Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. She's also talking about um, her because she she drives for what's essentially Uber, but the service is called um, Commute. Uh, she says, now I have a 2.0 rating, which is a dope Jeep. <laughs> it's a dope GPO, but a shit commute rating. And so it's just like, oh, she called it a GPO. A GPO. It's not a dope GPA. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like you, so much to deconstruct about this funny, like messed up line. One sentence. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. I thought it was so, great. Yes. Do you give it your ass? Will you tell people that, you know, it's, it's a funny after show to watch? I do give it my ass. I wish I had more to say about it. We just talked about it in like four minutes flat, but I like, I, I thought it was really funny. I'll, I'll, say the, I'll say the grandmother is also, she becomes hilarious. And also they do some funny things with them, like kind of like, uh, they kind of tell like the origin story of like the grandmother coming over. And cool. that episode is hilarious. So it's a really kind of original episode. The their second season just uh, premiered. Are you caught up? Have you seen them all? I haven't seen any of the second season because any show that was on Comedy Central before is now like, like it, I think this is on HBO Max season oh, two. Weird, because normally we and have access to that stuff on Crave. I think it may be FX. Is that what it is? Yeah, but we don't have that either. Yeah, because I can't find it on Crave at all. Yeah. And it's really annoying. But but like on on Crave, like I can watch what we do in the shadows. Right. And that's on FX. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't so know. The, so there, it's so weird. I don't know how it all works out. But the same thing's happening with the other two where like because it was on Comedy Central in season one, I was able to watch it all. I was going to mention but to you no that, we sh- that we should maybe watch the other two because that seems to suddenly be uh, rising to the surface. People are getting excited about that show. Did we not cover that show? I don't think so. That's the one with Molly Shannon, right? Yeah. I mean, in a pretty, like, like minute role. Okay, okay. She's funny in it, but, like, yeah, she plays, like, their mom. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah, I thought we, I thought we might have done it on the show, but maybe we didn't. Maybe I just watched the whole season. Usually the case is I watch the first episode and then just happen to watch the, the rest of the season after the fact. But well, I might have yeah. watched it all without us. Sometimes you'll be like, well, in hindsight, I've been watching this show. We could talk about the pilot of it that I watched a week and a half ago. Right. Which is the case with uh, right. with Aquafina as Nora from Queens. 
Um, mm-hmm. where, where does the name Aquafina come from? Do you I'm mean, like other than that, like it looks, it's spelled like the word awkward, but like why the water bottle company? I don't know. I really have no idea. I wish I could provide some more color there. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you did your best. <laughs> I'll yeah. I'll recap the the first episode of Scenes from a Marriage, which is a real pivot tonally. Um, in fact, it was damn exhausting to watch before work on a, a dreary Thursday. Oh yeah. All right, count me down. All right, you, you ready? You're gonna recap Scenes from Marriage in three, two, one. Go. Jonathan and Mira are a married couple. They have a young daughter. This uh, episode opens on what appears to be like couples therapy, but then we find out that actually they're uh, uh, volunteering for some kind of like marital research, and they talk about all sorts of things and about how they got together initially. They're asked about monogamy, and then we cut to this dinner party they're having with their uh, friends who are a couple who are in an open marriage, and they seem to be going through some troubles because she was in another relationship, and the guy broke up with her, and now their marriage is kind of falling apart. Oh, and uh, at the end of the episode, Jessica Chastain and Mira finds out she's pregnant, and they decide not to keep it for a second they decide to keep it and then your time ran out and then uh they cut to them in the uh doctor's office where they're terminating the pregnancy and was i wrong or did they intentionally skip over them changing their minds no, they, they definitely skipped over yeah it went straight from happy moments of being like i guess we're doing this to like them in the doctor's office like okay you need to take these two pills it's crazy when she shares that she's pregnant because I've never been in that situation myself, but like traditionally in like movies and TV shows when the couple is in love and obviously they have problems in their marriage. It hasn't always been great, but they're still uh, playing the parts of a husband and wife who like love each other and kiss each other. Hello mm-hmm. and say, see you later. Yeah. Uh, and you know, sleep yeah. in the same bed and everything. And it, traditionally in movies when, uh, a wife is like, guess what? I'm having a baby. Uh, they hug and it's like, oh my God, yay, this is so exciting. And they have this very clinical exchange instead where they're like, huh, well, how could this have happened? Well, we did have sex that time. I guess that's how it happened. Right. And it takes a minute before like he, they, they're both like nervous to admit that they think they want to keep the baby. And then they both do admit right. it. And then we cut to them not keep, keeping the baby. And then she cries. Right. Yeah. It was kind of jarring to just see like, I'm pregnant and she's like, wow, wow, like it's so uh, uncomfortable. And we get like a little bit of backstory when they're in the doctor's office as to why they might not want to keep the baby. Like they're both 40. I mean, that's that wouldn't be it. They have like clearly a nice house and they have another kid together, but it would appear she had like postpartum depression after their last kid. And it was really hard on their marriage the first time around. And like, it seems like that's probably a real point of concern for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. She says I was so nasty to you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. What a bummer of a show. Oh, it's, uh, it's such a bummer. Um, and I don't know anything about the original, the Ingmar Bergman, uh, piece, but it seems like this is only loosely based on it. Like I, it, it it's it's not even the same characters and i mean obviously why do it if not to now analyze modern marriage in a different world and like a great way to do right. that is to offset them with a couple that's in an open marriage how long did it take you to understand that that's what they were arguing about because 
I'm such like I'm like I'm so naive that I'm watching this like conversation with these two people and they're talking about this other guy named Nathan and I'm like, well, are these are these two not a couple? I don't understand. And then I realize all at once that Corey Stoll is her husband, her main squeeze, but Nathan also broke up with her. Well, Corey Stoll, the first thing he says, like once they talk about how they they're doing this, uh, uh, they're partaking in this sort of like marriage um, survey or Study, whatever. Yeah. Um, He's kind of like, well, why would they want a, a 40 year old monogamous couple? Like? Okay. And he was like, well, I mean, like, you're free to, he was like, I will, I will reach out to them. And like, I think we have a lot to, they'd have a lot to learn from us. Okay. I didn't make that connection. And, and that dinner party, by the way, is brutal. Like they have, they have a fight and then the, the guys kind of separate from the girls or vice versa. And, uh, Jessica Chastain's like kind of talking to her friend, like making her feel a little bit better because she's pretty emotional. And then they like this friend like starts to make out with Jessica Chastain for a sec. And Jessica Chastain's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they come back downstairs and Corey Stoll is like all the way hammered and they start screaming at each other. And then the dinner party ends. Yeah. And so like, I guess the idea here is like, phew, at least we are a monogamous and we have this, but like also they're not happy. Mm. Yeah. Like what scenes are we getting from this marriage? Are well, all the scenes like this? I don't know. Like an interesting an interesting thing that the movie Marriage Story does, and I think there's an obvious connection to be drawn between these two. This isn't necessarily about divorce like the other one is, but um, an interesting thing that Noah Baumbach does in Marriage Story is he, he ping-pongs your allegiance to the characters. And so in the opening sequence, you like know very decisively whose side you're on in this divorce. And then a half an hour later, you're like, totally jumping ship and you're like no no never mind it's their fault and you do that a few times in the movie marriage story which is a lot of control directorial directorially um and i have a feeling this show strives to do that as well because in the opening sequence in the interview with the researcher very decisively you're like oscar isaac is a son of a bitch he needs to let her talk he is putting up he is putting up airs he is, he is clearly control. Like it's, it, you, you get, do I, do you agree? Yeah, like right. he, he's being obnoxious. And then as the episode goes on, or at least towards the end in this first episode, he kind of seems like he is willing to do anything to make her happy. And she's like kind of hard to read. And so I thought that was pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the the thing that I will give marriage story is that it didn't start out on an air of like absolute depression yeah true. and continue that the whole time like there is at least you know you could kind of follow along there was stuff happening you, you you picked sides but you also weren't like oh this is so rough either way like i remember <laughs> watching marriage story and be like this is a good watch i've watched it twice marriage story is kind of a comedy it just has some dark scenes uh this right is not a comedy i would say the writing is fine but not remarkable um and so it lives and dies by it's acting, which, I mean, yeah, like the, the, these two actors are amazing, and so like I buy the characters, but it's right. not it's not fun, and it is like genuinely exhausting. Like I was in a bad mood after I watched it. Yeah, it's not what you want to watch. Jen was not happy at all. No, she was like, "This is." I was like, "Wait, we'll just see how much time we have left," and end up being like, like another forty five minutes. It was it was really slow, and I also wonder, and I wonder this about Marriage Story too. Like, is this supposed to be some kind of like um, 
authorial uh, damnation of marriage? Like, are you, are you creating like a cautionary tale or are you trying to reflect everybody and remind them of what makes them unhappy? Yeah, I don't know. Like, wh- who is this show for? Yes, that's really what I'm trying to say. Or, like, like, who's the core audience for who's like, I can't wait to watch scenes from a marriage. Again. You're either going to relate to it too hard and it's going to bum you out or you're going to not relate to it at all and it's going to bum you out. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, everyone's bummed. It was uh, initially supposed to star Oscar Isaac and Michelle Williams, who would have been really good in this role as well, although she spent a lot of time in stuff about the turmoils of marriage. Um, and then she fell out because of COVID scheduling. And they got Jessica Chastain, who is an old friend of Oscar Isaac's. They went to Juilliard together, which I happen to know because about six months ago, there was a small documentary that came out about the Vanessa Carlton song, A Thousand Miles, um, wherein she talked about how she was a student at Juilliard and she secretly wrote that song for someone who went to school at the same time as her, who she had a big crush on. And she wouldn't name them because now that person is a very famous actor. And what's notable about Vanessa Carlton is that she is bi. And so it could be virtually anybody. But it could be either. Two acting students who were at Juilliard when she was there are Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. So one of them might very realistically be the subject of the very popular 2001 pop song, A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, which is a really cool real world lore thing that I've fixated on. Mm, yeah i feel like with enough prying we could get uh <clears throat> vanessa williams to talk about that yeah vanessa carlton uh, vanessa carlton sorry why would she why would she be embarrassed about it at this point i don't know i don't know 20 years ago be like yeah i had a crush on oscar isaac and i wrote a song about it she she also might be really that was maybe her like main hit absolutely uh she also might be really smart to just want to like stoke curiosity because look at how it worked out for Carly Simon. She's not even one of the top 20 songs of this generation. <laughs> what does so Rolling Stone know. think? <laughs> yeah. All right. What other notes did I have about this? Um, very little. I, I, I made a, a note about the vending machine at the end. This is in the last five minutes. They're at the doctor's office and uh, he steps out for a sec because he wants to get a Pepsi from the vending machine. And he kind of takes pause. Like he puts his credit card in the vending machine and then out pops a Pepsi. And I wondered for a second, is this vending machine a metaphor for uh, <laughs> reproduction? A birthing a child? Yeah, because it's like it's so easy for him to just like insert a thing and then the thing appears <laughs> transactionally. And yet it's not working out in terms of his family. Is that reading too much or is that like... Because he does like when this happens... He's alone. They make a point he, of that happening. Right. They there. milk the moment with the with the vending machine. Yeah. Yeah. He is trying to, to get out specific. She's like, no, I don't want like Diet Coke. And he's like, no, no, no. Just uh, you, you, it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> just, like walks out like he he wants some time to himself. And well, so and, and so does she. He comes back and he's like, I'll drive you home. And she's like, I want to be alone. And so he just leaves. And then as soon as he leaves the room, she starts to bawl and the episode ends. Right. Yeah, and that was when I said, well, that was a barrel of laugh. You know what the coolest thing about the whole show was? This interesting decision to open it on Jessica Chastain from her back as Jessica Chastain walking onto set, and there's all these crew members around wearing masks, and she sits down on the set, 
and like crew members come up to her and they put like wedding rings on her and then they clear the way and as the camera widens out you're just in the world of the show and she's not Jessica anymore she's she's Mira I thought that was such an interesting way to like literalize the term scenes from a marriage yeah you know what I didn't put any thought into that at all like I did put a lot at the time I was like is she an actress like yeah like this is like her like she's thinking about something deeper or like and then I kind of completely forgot about it yeah that's so we I mean I guess yeah the name it it, it works out with the name but if you would have asked me at the at the end like yeah why why was the first scene them getting the whole set set up the other thing I thought was funny was that there was clearly like a stand-in sitting yeah. on the toilet like why I guess maybe if they're gonna film from like the well behind I it's so interesting you ask because uh Jade can enlighten us on this her husband, Drew, my very good friend, just had a job like this on a show that shoots not far from here, where they basically hire somebody who's roughly that that actor's height to be there while they light the set. Just so they can frame it and light it. Oh, yeah. interesting. Oh, good. Okay. That's, an, like, that's a very realistic industry like a, thing. Interesting. I, I wasn't sure if she was going to pull like a backflip off the toilet and there, <laughs> there was going to be like she was the stunt woman or if there was going to be a two-parter where she was having a conversation and that was kind of going to be like the back of her head. But Now, all this to no, say, okay. I, I think I kind of do want to give it my ass, even though it's a bummer. I thought that the acting was so good and the theatricality of like these long, like three long scenes I thought was like pretty effective. I thought it was too sad to be worth it, but I do think yeah. it was successful in what it sought out to do. Why? I couldn't tell you. It's one of those things where it's not going to age well if we don't give it our S's, but I, I don't want to give it my ass because I like, based on the first episode, I'm That's like, okay. this is too rough. I wouldn't tell a friend like, oh, you got to watch that. We might find out in five months that like, yes, this was the the absolute drama of the year, but um, I, I think it would still be, you'd really have to twist my arm to get me to watch it. You know what? I think I could have done without the opening interview scene like if that wasn't there with the researcher i think it would have been better because all that was was really lazy exposition to tell you who these characters it are is. and and they could have written that into the show better and he comes across like a bastard and she comes across quite demure and for no particular reason the therapist person was also kind of attitude -y. um i think they could have told us more about the people while telling the story simultaneously and the show could have been 12 minutes shorter which i also would have been appreciated yes yeah 100 percent. yeah so you give it your ass i don't give it my ass right things from marriage have you have you noticed on talk show appearances for the last year and a half a lot of celebrities have gotten really weird about their mobile homes about their rvs well, you, you like the Armchair Podcast. You must have heard Dax talk about his dumb RV bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a lot of celebrities got really into Airstream culture. It's like a very big deal. Celebrities like campers oh. now. Okay. Will Smith has one that's two stories and cost him two and a half million dollars. Two stories. So it's like a double-decker bus. It's a double-decker camper bus, and it costs two and a half million bucks. Where are you going, Will? Where are you driving? Right. Maybe, maybe what are you running like from, Will? COVID. Yeah. What are you trying to hide? <laughs> are you public enemy? Mm, maybe so. Maybe the second best song of all time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was also in that movie that was called Public Enemy. I don't oh. know. It might have been called Public Enemy number one. Maybe. 
Public Enemies was a Johnny Depp, John Dillinger movie. That's right. Yeah. But no, this was a, another one. It was him and Gene Hackman. I uh, would never trust uh, John Dillinger. Why is that? Did he do something real bad? Just all kinds of like shady stuff that just seemed off to me. Like last time I saw him, I was like, there's something weird about that John Dillinger yeah. character. He's not as, uh, he's not as, he might, you know, be a dangerous guy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, maybe. I'm not saying that Will Smith is dangerous, but he does have a two-story uh, camper, which seems like overcompensation. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. And that's why we shouldn't trust that camper. Nope. We should never trust Will Smith. Never trust Will Smith! Will Smith!